Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Max here. I just wanted to tell you that I recently got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you're interested in buying or selling a house in the state of Rhode Island, please contact me at maxwillett.kw.com. That's M-A-X-W-I-L-L-E-T-T dot K-W dot com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. We'll one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. We have another first today. We have our first returning guest to the podcast, and I'm going to let the suspense kill you guys. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Well, thanks for having me back. The show is great. It's really taken off. You've done a great job here. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm Bill Bartholomew, and uh, as we discussed last time, I grew up down the road from here, down in Charlestown, but spent yep. a ton of time where we're recording right now, which is on 138, yep. but right by Beaver River Road. That was kind of my my high school stumping ground, so yeah. to speak. And uh, yeah, it's great to be back. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a musician and media personality. Um, do a bunch of different things in each of those spectrums. Primarily, though, I guess I'm most well-known as a singer-songwriter and as a podcast radio host here in Rhode Island. Very cool. Well, uh, yes, thank you for for coming back. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, I think the first thing we should start off is you're coming out with a new album. Coming out with a new album on Friday, so we're recording on Wednesday morning, and yeah, Friday the 14th is the, the release date for that, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting it out there and moving on, <laughs> you know, because cool. there's so much buildup. I mean, the record itself may... Making a project on the musical side is is a draining and time consuming and an amazing process. It's not like a complaint necessarily, but then the pre- the preparation to release it and doing all of the back end stuff of getting whether you're talking the photos or getting the 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 record onto prepared to release on Spotify or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and then all the press stuff and doing interviews and it's a lot and uh, on top of what I would normally be doing in a day or week this has been it's a lot so mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to getting it out and getting back to uh, you know less of a an advanced mode and more of a in action type of mode yeah so, that's, so what's the name of the album gonna be it's called beige which is a lot of people <clears throat> actually a lot of people have been pronouncing it correctly which is nice it's a Portuguese there's a Portuguese word beijo, which is the uh, kiss. Mm-hmm. And so for my partner, I have a pet name that I came up with like 10 years ago, Beijer, which is like not a real word. And that gets shortened to beige. And uh, so I just like the it, it seemed to fit kind of yeah. where the, the music was largely sitting. And no one had take no one had used that as a name before on an album. So. Uh, that's where it came from, and I, I, I like the way that it sounded, and that's always a big part for me in any lyrical title, whatever it may be, is like how does it phonetically sound and look on paper? 
What do you think the best way to describe the album is? Um, I think that I just got a review in The Independent that I thought was a pretty good, accurate representation, which they basically described it as indie rock with touches of folk and country, but not um, not an obnoxious amount of twang. You know, because like I'm from Rhode Island, you know, we're from Rhode Island. We're sitting, even though we, I grew up in rural Rhode Island, you know, I don't have a Southern accent and, yeah. you know, or anything like that. So the countryside of my music, I try to intentionally not lean into like pretending I'm from, you know, like Tuscaloosa, Alabama or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah. yeah, but you know, my music is, um, I try to be as authentic as I can be. It's. You know, I write songs that are not usually planned out in advance. They just kind of come. Mm-hmm. And I've been on a, a, a been in a number of different bands and had a number of different iterations of my sound. And, and sometimes it's more electric. Sometimes it's more um, folky. This is kind of somewhere in between. And, yeah. and, and one thing about this record is for the first time... That on something that I've released, um, I played all the instruments. I oh, wow. recorded it by myself. I produced it. I did everything by myself, and that was a huge part of the the purpose of doing this album was almost to test myself and also to get to a point where I was like, "Hey, I've I I have wanted to make an album alone, and this past winter, I just said, "Well, let's just do it then," mm-hmm. and that was. Bands are really challenging, like any team. It's it's a challenge. And I've been in bands. My first band was Acid Rain Revival, and we formed that in 2000. And almost all the members lived down the street from where we're recording right now. And it was amazing. We were together for six years, and then I was in another band, Commas. We moved to New York, and then I had a backing band of my own in New York for three years. And then I was in a band called Silver Teeth that... You know, we toured then played in South America and had had some success. And, you know, being in a band is, like I said, it's a real challenge. And but there's also the reality of as you get older and you, you know, people's careers expand in different directions that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you have a big opportunity and the drummer's like, well, I can't go because, you know, I've got a family reunion this weekend yeah. and I keep using this example I don't even know if that ever really happened but <laughs> so then all of a sudden you're like well okay but you don't want to get a fill-in drummer because the person's feelings could be hurt or whatever the case is or you argue about well which songs are we going to record you know I like these songs well I like these songs and, and compromise is great and that's how we make the world move forward no question but also um, I just didn't want to compromise on music that much and so yeah. I'm at a point now where I'm really excited I have um, I, I'm playing a lot of my music now live solo, just me with a guitar, seated a lot of times, scaled back. And then I have a backing band of people, some here in Rhode Island, some in New York, um, some in other places around the country that I just, whenever I have a gig, uh, I'll hire my friends to play with me mm-hmm. and remain totally in control. And that could be an egomaniac type of thing, but I think it really was inspired by my podcasting and and kind of learning that I'm happy when I am like a painter or a writer or something like that or the radio host or the or the podcaster where mm-hmm. you know you are kind of driving the ship and uh, so that's how I ended up making this project 
and doing it the way that I did, which was not easy, but um, a nice challenge, and I'm happy with, with where I landed. Very cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, listening to it. Listened to some of your music in the past, and I like it. I hey, thanks. I never, I've never really, uh, you know, said I love one particular type of music. I like a lot of different types of music, sure. ranging from country to rock and roll to like, you know, folk stuff, like like Sturgill Simpson, things like that, sure. like bluegrass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get the audio, you know, the audio file stuff from my parents. They really love music, so yeah, um, yeah. I just it's it's very cool to see that. And uh, I hope you the best success with it. And uh, hopefully it takes off on Spotify or whatever platforms it's coming out on. That's the game, you know. And yeah. what's interesting is I learned something from podcasting that I'm trying to apply to my music now, which is that, and you, and you, you certainly have seen this happen, you know, you can put everything into one, you know, all your effort goes into one track or one thing mm -hmm. and you hope that that explodes. And if it doesn't, it's this huge disaster because you put all your energy into it and it's like, ah, oh, geez, you know. Um, whereas with podcasting, you know, you start at episode one, you make it, you put it up, you tell your friends, you tell your family, you know, your mom sends it to somebody who might be interested. There's yeah. a down, you know, and all of a sudden it, yeah. by the time you get to episode 30, you might have a little traction if it's any good. By the yeah. time you get to episode 100 or whatever the case may be, you may have built something. And I think music is very similar now with Spotify, TikTok, and, mm -hmm. and things like that, where it's like, I'm putting 10 songs out on this album. I've got a, a lot of songs I've already put out. Many of them I've taken off of Spotify. And I see this moment as kind of a reset for myself, where I'm going to put these songs out. And, uh, you know, if they don't go, if they go viral on Spotify, or one of them gets playlisted and gets a million listens great if it doesn't i'm gonna i'm gonna make more songs and put more yeah. songs out yeah and uh probably singles next and mm -hmm. and i've kind of already know where the next batches is, is gonna be in this this winter i'll make more and i'll put them up and i'll keep repeating this cycle and i think that if you go that way with music i, I don't know this i'm experimenting with it but i think if you take that kind of podcaster route of you're active. Yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. You've, you'll find people that like it. They'll tune in. Maybe they like, maybe they don't you know. There's a lot of people who don't listen to every single episode that mm -hmm. I release or you release, but they know it's there. They know it's out. Some people listen to every single episode. I think the same can be true for music in the Spotify era. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause streaming services have really changed how music is created because totally. you can come out. Hey there guys, Max here again. I just wanted to ask you to leave the podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Please just leave us a review. It helps get more people to the podcast and learn more about life. So thanks for tuning in, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Single, and you could do one, and you get like a year's salary for one song. Oh, for sure. You, you know? can get a song placed on a, on a in film or television. That's yeah. always been the case, and that yeah. does generally pay well, especially commercial stuff. Yeah. But you're right. It's changed when I first started in music, you know, you had to make your own CDs mm -hmm. and that was an expensive process. And that continued for a long time into the 2010s. In fact, I made a record in two records, one in 2015 and one in 2016 and one solo and one with my band Silver Teeth. And those came out on CD. Mm -hmm. The last Silver Teeth record in 2019 came out on cassette because uh, it was kind of like the hipster thing to do or okay. something like that. Yeah. But this is the first time I've ever put something out where it's just been, this is digital only. Mm -hmm. This There's no physical release. There may be a vinyl 
that comes out down the line that we're cool. we're kind of working towards. But uh, even that's not for sure. Well, vinyl's making a comeback. Oh yeah, it's been yeah. gradually building, building, building. It's just very expensive. And I have a, a friend, um, uh, John Farone, another one, Dan Blakesley. I have both uh, two great songwriters here in this region, New England songwriters that I observed in the same uh, scenario. Where, you know, you're a singer-songwriter, so oftentimes you're traveling light. You know, you might have your bag of clothes and stuff and, you know, your guitar and mm-hmm. maybe, you know, some kind of in your bag of clothes. Hopefully you've got some merchandise and whatever. And then both John Farone and Dan Blakesley I've seen walking in after they bring their stuff in with a box that looks like they're carrying like a box of dumbbells. You know, like 10... 15 pound weights mm-hmm. and what they're carrying is the vinyl they're carrying their oh, wow. their records which they have to be really careful not to bend yeah. or anything and so you're lugging those around from town to town mm-hmm. so you know it's also an investment in that sense of like you know it's a it's an ordeal to yeah. uh to deal with it so for me i you know i've got merchandise i draw these characters called monstros that i call them so i may you know i've got t-shirts kind of a t-shirt line that's coming out that i'm i'm working with a local um, Richmond-based company, actually, 401 okay. Studio. Oh, okay, yep, heard of them. So we're working on that product, and we'll have the first shirt out on Friday as well mm-hmm. um, in that that line. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because music has changed so much, and it really is about Spotify and those types of platforms, and TikTok is the other huge place. Yeah. Now, there's still, I've been doing some radio stuff, and radio still has a place, especially mm-hmm. like the... WRIU here in South County, um, the uh, WMVY out on Martha's Vineyard. There's like a handful of stations that I am engaged with in the Northeast, but um, nowhere near the reach as if your song goes nuclear on on Spotify, just yeah. like your podcast. Yeah, that it, it's crazy to think because I mean, I, I my podcast is is I mean, this podcast has you know gotten a few listens, um, but uh, it's crazy, you know, when I look on the analytics and it was played in like Germany or something, and I wondered right. to myself if that was a bot or if that was something real. So I don't really know. <laughs> I think it's real because, you know, I see that too. And you go, okay, well, why would that be? You know, maybe it's the topic. And there's a lot of people that, in my case, there's Rhode Islanders all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see, oh, I got this episode, got 17 plays in Washington, D.C. Mm. And you're like, well, yeah, there's probably 17. There's probably... 1700 people in dc that are from rhode island that would be interested in this so you've reached one percent of them uh that sounds like it makes sense and that's the beauty of it it's really flattened the 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 globe a lot of people complain that it's impersonal Mm -hmm. and there really is something magical about radio where it's like it's live it's in the moment if you missed it you missed it and everyone's glued in together that's tuned in live the same with music like on a physical CD or disc or, or, or cassette, whatever you, where you can hold it and you make that active choice to say, I'm going to put this on right now and that's my choice. It's not, you're never going to get a random, randomly generated song from a CD that you put into your CD player. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there's also a major trade off that I think there's a huge advantage that we live in this era of the streaming service. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, You've been insanely busy since the last time you've been on the podcast. I think I posted it November 20th of last year. I was trying to remember the date that we did it. I remember it was like yeah. just starting to get truly cold because yeah. I stopped over here 
took a walk around Beaver River and it was like, all right, time to start wearing the jacket. (laughs) Yeah. So that was uh, almost a year ago, which is crazy to think because time flies. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah. So do you want to go over some of the things that maybe you've been doing in the past year that's sort of taken up most of your time other than like the album? Well, I've been continuing to podcast, which has grown into also, well, I guess the big thing is I signed with with Cumulus Media and I now work with full time with uh, WPRO Radio, Mm -hmm. 99.7 FM AM 630, um, which is one of the best news talk stations in the country. We have live local talk from 5 a.m. until 7 p.m. and then shows on the weekend. So I have my podcast airs as a weekend show on Saturdays, which is awesome. It's a a great opportunity. And then I produce the Dan York show, which is the afternoon drive show um, every day, you know, which is a really cool opportunity. I also fill in and host the show when Dan's not there, which is, I don't know, 30, 40 times a year, I guess, something like that. So it's a it's a great opportunity and I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, And I have some other roles in a managerial context there. And I, I host the debate series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moderate the debates for governor and Congress and so on and so forth. That's really great. Yep. And uh, host our election night coverage and do some reporting and stuff like that. So it's been great. I've really, really loved. Yeah. I love WPRO. Um, was a huge fan. I was a caller to the station. I used to call in as William in Newport, like this kind of <laughs> persona and, Ever since then, I've, I've, yeah, you know, I've loved talk radio. It's something that's, I think, is very viable still. I know is very viable. I think yeah. it's much bigger than TV in terms of the amount of people that are engaged in it around here anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, TV as in like traditional, yeah. the six o'clock news or something like that. So we have a massive audience that, I, and I'm lucky, you know, I, I feel really lucky to have gotten that opportunity and it came from my podcast. Um, I still do some TV stuff with Rhode Island PBS, long-form journalism, and I'm on the show Lively Experiment as well, where I, I talk about politics there. So all of that, i also been with music, been playing drums in a bunch of bands out in Newport and one out in New Haven, and just been nonstop, you know. Um, it's been crazy. It yeah. really has, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be fully engaged in a balanced I think creative life based in Rhode Island which is something that you really have to anywhere you are it doesn't matter if you're in New York LA Chicago or Austin or um, or Nashville whatever the case is you have to carve out your creative identity and um, you know it's it's difficult to just do one thing I mean there's probably only five six thousand people in music for example or probably even less in podcasting that like Mm -hmm. just do that every day nothing Mm -hmm. else but if you can find a few different things to balance your career with, um, that is the key. And and for me to be able to do that here in Rhode Island has just been amazing because I love Rhode Island. I love being able to go to, back to New York where I lived for 10 years very quickly on a whim, you know, drive for three hours, you're there, come home the same day. I can still perform there, but you get the quality of life from living in this beautiful state. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's what I've been up to, and it's been nuts. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been listening to you on WPRO a lot, and it's uh, it's, I've never really like 
met somebody in real life and then listened to them on the radio. So it's kind of <laughs> cool <laughs> to, do, to, to listen to you. And, and you've been – like, you know, a lot of the topics are political. We'll, we're going to get oh, into sure. some Rhode Island elections here in a couple minutes. Uh, but it's great to hear somebody say, you know, I respect your opinion to everybody, even though people who call in don't necessarily respect you. Yeah. You know, so – Well, I, it's important, you know, yeah. and I, I think that's really missing in our political discussion, our civil – discussions right now is you know you don't have to agree with everybody on every point mm-hmm. um or even many points to respect them there's some Absolutely. things I, I don't respect you know obviously if you're like some kind of fascist or yeah. whatever I, I, Nazi or something. yeah then you're not <laughs> you don't have an opportunity to yeah. uh, win me over really but um yeah it's like way too much of the and it, it, you're right it goes both ways like you know anytime I make like I've been on this thing for several years and we talked about it on the radio on Monday of uh, Christopher Columbus, mm-hmm. you know, hey, look, you know, um, you want to celebrate Columbus Day, you want to celebrate celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day, yeah, whatever. you know, th- th- you know, uh, you want to tie Columbus to Italian heritage and have a parade, you know, um, it, you want to recognize that Columbus chopped people's arms off when he got to the Dominican Republic, now Dominican Republic, then Hispaniola, yep. um, it, all that is valid, but but. This idea of uh, tying Christopher Columbus to the founding of the United States yeah. is something that uh, drives me crazy. You know, it's like he, the guy was here 300 years before the U.S. was formed. Mm-hmm. He landed in not the continental U.S. There were other European explorers, particularly Verrazano, who were here and possibly others, Leif Erikson, perhaps, whatever, mm-hmm. that were here in this region before or around the same time as him. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, I'll make these statements of, like, why are we tying Christopher Columbus to the founding of the U.S.? And the reason is because he was selected by the founding fathers as kind of like the American King Arthur. They needed, like, a backstory. It's yeah. a brand new country coming out of chaos of the Revolutionary War. And they needed, hey, who's going to be the character that's kind of our founding figure? They didn't want someone from England. Yeah. Because uh, they just defeated the British, yeah. they couldn't. They didn't want George Washington or Ben Franklin, the living person. So somebody somewhere said, "Well, how about Christopher Columbus? You know, we'll use him." And so he was selected for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we know the true history of this. It's well known. All you have to do is get on an iPhone, and you realize there's 300 years between when he arrived in the New World and the forming of the the United States. So I don't know why we continue to perpetuate that myth. I don't know why we can't just say, "Okay, Columbus came here." You may. Love him. You may hate him. He came to this region 300 years before the U.S. was formed. And um, really, the U.S. was formed out of the Revolutionary War. Like that's, mm-hmm. But I'll say something like that, you know, and people will call in or email me, oh, you're some kind of communist, you know, <laughs> Marxist. And it's like, no. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's just I don't that's know just how you make the, the gap from saying Christopher Columbus was like that to you think communism is a good thing well they'll say you want to tear down statues and everything and that you know what that there was a columbus statue in providence that i did think should be relocated Mm -hmm. uh because it's in my neighborhood which is mostly people of dominican descent at this point it wasn't when it was installed and it was agitating much of the neighborhood and the neighborhood was saying hey we don't want this here anymore we don't want this statue here It, it you know, this guy slaughtered many of my ancestors, um, of my people. And so I supported fully the removal of that statue, which was ultimately removed. Now, there's two other Columbus statues. One's in Wilcox Park in Westerly. One's in on, um, Memorial Boulevard, Newport. I'm not saying those should be demolished. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's so it's like everything's situational and people lose sight of the fact that some people might look at something differently than you and just hear them out. And if like, yeah, why do you have all right, move that? You know, you could say you're tearing down statues, you're erasing history. Not really. You're just sort of acknowledging the present of where how people feel. And if the community says we don't want that, um, if the community of Richmond came together and said, hey, look, you know, we don't want to have uh a Starbucks here, you know, the Starbucks just moved in. Yeah. We, we want, we, we're a Duncan town, you know, or more importantly, we are in uh, Elena's alehouse and Elena's town or whatever. Higher local grounds, local higher grounds. Shops. Exactly. Yes. We don't want Starbucks here. And no. they rose up against it. In my opinion, the way the world should work is that the community should win that over, not the mm-hmm. corporate interest. So it's, that's where I'm coming from. Absolutely. I'm definitely on the team of no Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really Starbucks. like Starbucks either. Whenever I have one of their, my, my, you know, my caffeine tolerance has gone way down. So if I have like one of those uh, in like a pinch, whether it's like yeah. the airport or I'm in, I'm in yeah. New Haven, then that's like the closest coffee for me. That's uh, where I feel like I'm tied to Starbucks in New Haven because I don't yeah. know where else to get coffee. I'm always like all jittery and kind of agitated <laughs> after. Yeah. You know, please don't sue me, Starbucks. You know, Starbucks is wonderful, aren't they? You know? Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yep. $6 for a coffee. Who'd have thought that yeah. you could spend your $6 any better? Totally. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you had mentioned before that uh, you've been, uh, you know, hosting debates for yep. different races in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, and I believe the first big one you did was a Democratic governor debate, right? It was, yep. And that was a couple of months ago. That was in August, yep, August. middle of August. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. Yep. So do you want to do you want to go over that? A little bit, you know, sort of your analysis of when you did that. Sure. Well, one, it was a great opportunity, and same with the other debates that I've hosted. And starting next week, we'll have we have lieutenant governor and treasurer next week, and we have Congress yep. and governor coming up um, at some point in October. I think Congress is October twenty eighth. I can't remember when we're doing governor. It's not completely solidified yet, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it's you know very interesting. I take it very seriously. It's obviously an important job. Absolutely, I get it, and um, I prep very much. And I guess my analysis from the radio governor's debate or all of the debates was that we kind of saw radio debates are interesting. Unlike TV debates, you know, you really get I think a much more honest stream of thought because you're not worried about being on TV and where do your hands go on the podium yeah. and all these, you know, it's all very awkward, you know, the totally <laughs> trying to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally <laughs> taking a sip of water. You know what I'm referencing? To. I do. I do. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, I guess my analysis is that from looking back on the primary, I think Helena folks came on strong at the end. Um, I'm not surprised governor McKee won. I'm not yeah. surprised that Helena folks, performed well in the primary right and I'm not surprised I'm the result as a whole I'm not surprised with and I think the debates were pretty much predictors of where that would land Mm -hmm. um yeah I guess you know at this point it's hard to analyze them other than to say that I think I'm glad that we did them and I'm glad that everyone showed up because there have been debate primaries in the past where um, in 2018, Governor Raimondo didn't show up for the Democratic primary and Alan Fung didn't show up for the Republican because they yeah. felt like, well, what, all I have to do is lose ground. Yeah. And I think debates are part of democracy and people have a right to hear you, you know, in your position. Um, you know, as far as like in general, something interesting now is there's like third party candidates on, on the ballot for governor and mm-hmm. some some places they're debating, some places they're not because they haven't met criteria. 
and and I'm kind of like, you know, I, I'm at a point where it, having now been on the inside of the debates, I feel like from a practical standpoint, it's better to have criteria that like who's actually got a real coalition that can win this thing, and let's hear them. Let's use the time maximally to get insight on them versus yep. like, all right, let's have everybody up there. Um, that's just kind of my evolved position and, and and that's kind of the position that most of the media companies take as well yeah um so we'll get back i think we'll get back to the governor race uh in a few minutes but i wanted to touch on the uh congressional district two uh for united states senate uh alan fung and seth magaziner a lot yeah. of people are surprised that alan fung is actually ahead by six points but then there's yeah. also the um uh, you know, that's like within a margin of error, which is... Yeah, both both the Channel 12 Roger Williams poll that came out last week and then yesterday there was another poll from the Boston Globe that showed a similar... I think he's ahead by seven points in that poll with a 3% yeah. margin of error. Oh, 3%, um, okay. And, and, and look, you know, Alan Fung, first of all, he's a household name in Cranston. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he's, he's largely liked in Cranston, which is a big chunk of the district. Uh, the district includes a lot of the western part of Rhode Island. So, you know, you've got a situation where there's more of a Republican vote. And I think people are also looking at Seth Magaziner and they're like, did he even really want to run for Congress? I mean, he, he was, was running for governor. He running for governor. He? He's, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're from the district. I don't think so. But maybe some people do. Um, I think Alan Fung has a real chance to to win this thing. And, and it's huge. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the Magaziner team in the final month kind of tries to play this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I've never been, you know, a big believer in polls just because the track record of recent has been kind of wishy-washy, you know? Sure. So, like, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm in, I'm really interested to see uh, because that would be big, you know, on a national standpoint for them to get that seat in this state, this state especially. Um yeah. Uh, but yeah, whether or not I support him, I'm not, I'm going to leave that out. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a really interesting race. And I was like very surprised to see Alan Fung would even be close, but I think that was just me kind of being an outsider for a little bit and then sure. kind of coming in in the last couple of months and looking at it, it was like, Oh wow. Holy crap. Um, but yeah, so let's get back into the governor, governatorial, uh, race. So, uh, you had, uh, hosted the democratic, uh, debate and now we're past that primary already happened and uh, we have the Republican nominee Ashley Kalis who was actually on the podcast uh, and the incumbent Dan McKee yep so last night there was a debate and you had already posted an episode I didn't think you, you that was like really fast yeah it was it like I recorded like, it like at 8 10 or something like yeah. that right after it ended um and you had some I started listening to it but you had some um what began to sound like an interesting perspective on it. Well, I just think neither one of them right now are jumping out as like the calming voice that we kind of all need. Like people are really uncertain about the economy and everything with housing. And Mm -hmm. and, and I felt like, you know, there's, look, there's, Kalis is going to throw the barb around that he's under FBI investigation when he's actually not necessarily, there's no proof that he is, his administration is, um, but he personally is not, He's McKee is going to throw the barb around of, well, Kayla's flew in here less than like a year ago. And she, is she from Illinois? Is she from Florida? No one really knows. And 
the reality is right now, I my question and I what I asked on the podcast last night, my podcast was like, who is the person that has your back here? Like, who's yeah. who's looking out for most of us? Yeah, you know, and issues like abortion are seemingly less of a of a major issue. And then, then what I think a lot of people were betting on, it's mm-hmm. kind of faded to a secondary issue. There's a lot of uncertainty about the economy from, um, you know, look, the governor of Rhode Island can't really do anything about the stock market, but they can no. do something about housing mm-hmm. and they can control a lot of our, the flow of, of um, COVID money that is available still and lead and create proposals to try to shape things in a way that we feel more comfortable and confident that, hey, our administration has our back or mm-hmm. our government is on our side. Mm-hmm. And look, I get it. You know, you don't want to ever say what's the, you know, the so, I can't remember if this was Ronald Reagan. Someone said like, oh, the worst thing you can hear if someone knocks on your door is, hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. yeah. So like I get that. Yeah. Like no one, I'm not saying the government's going to save you. But, you know, you look to this race and you wonder who's that calming voice right now? Who's the person that just, hey, this is a challenging moment, and let me be, let my vision, here's my vision for where we're going in the next four, eight years, whatever it is, and let's let's come 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 on this ride with me. Um, it really and, just seemed like they were just attacking each other instead of just the attacks. Exactly. Yeah, it was like you. I watched it, and it was just sort of like. Sure, they were t- saying their opinions on things, but it was just really, they just seem like they really don't like each other. <laughs> no, they definitely don't. <laughs> and, you know, and they were definitely. just like attacking each other the whole night, which was not very productive. Yeah, they definitely don't like each other. And, you know, hey, look, she's been throwing some half-truths at minimum at him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's made some remarks that have irritated her. And it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate because the reality is that Right now, we should be focused on issues in a way where people can really understand, you know, what's what's your not shock value, not, um, you know, not not headline grabbing, but thorough plan for what I think is the big issue of, the, of our time right now, housing. Yeah. You know, she absolutely. said last night she wants to build 10,000 houses in a year. That's a lot. Uh, it's impossible. I yeah. don't know how you could ever. There's first of all, even if you had the space to do that and you were able to persuade each municipality to rezone m- much of their area yeah and you were able to navigate dem and the wetlands that would be impacted and you're not even forgetting about supply chain issues for parts you, exactly and who's going to swing the hammer and when we have a shortage in a lot of our yeah. various trade sectors mm-hmm. um so how are we going to deal with this well one thing is to take back housing um squeezing out short-term rentals, Airbnbs, you know, requiring Brown University and other institutions to um, build their own housing or to, you know, not um, in Providence, they occupy a tremendous amount of, of, of housing that needs to be addressed or tax them properly so that they're paying ample taxes mm-hmm. when they are occupying such a large portion of the city. So there's ideas that need to be implemented that I'm not hearing right now that are like way more practical than let's build thousands of houses yeah. like next year. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Instead of just getting like the headline sort of idea out there when, when it's not really practical, if you know what I mean, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I'm going to give myself a plug, you know, which is okay. Please. It, it is my own podcast. Yeah, I should. just got my realtor's license. There you go. Uh, and 
to to you know hear about the housing crisis. I like to say I have a little bit more of an opinion on it now, but uh, you know I'm still new to the industry, definitely. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's like why would you go rent a house when you could go buy one for the same price? That's right. And you know it, it's just it's not okay. And I definitely think that there is something the the state of Rhode Island can do to help. Uh, not not necessarily you know to the point where they're you know restricting or unrestricting certain people from doing certain things, but just from an economic standpoint and, and adding more housing to get the supply up which would indefinitely get the, the the average value of a home to go down. Yeah, for sure, which is a huge. Absolutely agree that there's there's just things that can be done that you would just want to see and we're not seeing right now and we're not yeah. we're, we're just not hearing enough ideas that aren't just vague um you know, let's get specific. Why not? Yeah. Paint that vision. Do you remember when Alan Fung ran for governor? Now, I was still in high school, so I really don't know. What he was pulling at when he was running against Gina Raimondo. He ran against Gina Raimondo, right? Twice, yeah. Twice, you know, yeah. I don't actually remember. That's a great point. Of course, that would be statewide, so it would include the more liberal mm-hmm. eastern portion of the state. Um, or coastal, I guess you would say. But, yeah, I don't remember what his actual polling numbers were. You know, in in the first race, there were three major candidates. Bob Healy also ran the Cool Moose, okay. um, who was an independent. Was that the guy with the beard? Yeah, the exactly, beard? totally. Okay. Yeah, I remember him. Um, so that kind of chipped away at some of the Fung vote, and Gina ended up winning that race with like I think thirty six percent in in twenty eighteen. I think she got like fifty one, fifty two percent of the overall vote, if I remember right, because mm-hmm. Joe Trillo got four percent, and I think Alan Fung got like 37 percent if I'm, that's a totally random guess yeah i just found a po- uh, a poll from the providence journal um in 2018 did yeah you? and um gina Ramundo was at 43 percent and alan fung was at 36 because okay. my, my yeah. point was like you know um ashley kalis is what like uh 15 points right now We're about 10 uh, points 10 behind points, McKee, 10 points yeah behind McKee. Yep. so i was i was thinking though know, if there if somebody had even gotten that close in the recent elections and it seems like alan fung has yeah yeah that was a much closer race yeah. no question there was there you know it, it in, in 2018 it really was gina's race to lose no question 26 uh in in 2014 it was much more up in the air and alan came pretty close um you know, Ashley Kalis could close that gap. The, the debates are going to be interesting. Yeah, it's a really difficult thing to do at this point to to win new voters, and and I, I think McKee is very appealing to the independent voter, which is a yeah. a big factor. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe mean, magazine or I know magazine or isn't as appealing. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think it's safe to say and pretty bipartisan to say that I don't think either of them really quote unquote won the debate last night no no neither no definitely not yeah because i it you watched it and you're just like they really they really just attacking each other i said that before i'll say it again it just kind of it seemed like two kids fighting (laughs) which is an unfortunate thing for the people running for governor you know in this state in a state that definitely needs help you know and uh it's sad to see but you know i hope that I hope the addition, because I think I had heard that they're going to have, or you had also said that they're going to have the other two people running 
uh, number other three, ten, other yeah, three people exactly. Running. On Thursday at yeah. the at the Providence Journal NPR Rick student newspaper debate, yeah, they're going to have the three quote unquote fringe candidates on the stage. Which yeah. you know, hey, their criteria is different than what a Channel Twelve or Channel Ten or WPRO's cri- criteria are. You mm-hmm. know, there's specific criteria that some, you know, it's nothing to do with us in Providence. It's like a national thing where like you've got to have whatever it is five percent in you know a back-to-back polls and fifty thousand dollars in your campaign account there's different mm-hmm. criteria that have been developed that um you know again i used to be firmly against those i'm on record saying that everyone should debate now that i'm inside the machine a little bit um i think you know i understand why because you know it's you want to focus in on people who have a realistic shot to win and it's almost you know no one's going to go into a debate at one, two, three, four, f- even five percent polling, and suddenly win the deba- win the yeah. election based on the debates. I mean, you you just that's too much ground to make up. So we want maximum time from the candidates that are Have a most viable. Yeah. Uh, at least that's how a lot of the national organizations, um, or or I should say, corporations, yeah, want things done. Yeah, it's interesting to see sort of the dynamic they'll add. Uh, I'm not really sure which way they lean. You know, they say they're independent, but everybody has tendencies to lean in one way or the other, I think. Yeah, I mean, Rihanna the, the is, you know, he's the guy who was extremely anti-vax mandate, vaccine mm-hmm. mandate. And, you okay. know, he was a nurse or CN, CNA. They got fired because he refused to get vaccinated. Oh, wow. Um, you know, he's kind of a... He, when he's out and at public events, he's wearing a Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt, you know. So you can, can't win in Rhode Island doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know what? And again, no matter what what your position is on on you know the um, the president, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think it's a classless thing to yeah. you know. Everybody knows what Let's Go Brandon stands for, and yep. if you wore that same shirt, this you know the equivalent for Trump. Um, or anyone, I think it's just, you know, it's classless, yeah. you know, so Agreed. I think that that's, come on, what are you doing? Uh, Gizarelli, the libertarian, you know, he claims his big claim to fame is he's going to bring back flavored vapes. So, you know, and then Eliza Gizarelli is an 18 year old kid who goes to URI, oh, wow. who has $200 in his campaign account, um, and had a, an effort to get the signatures required to get on the ballot, which is you need a thousand signatures from, from, uh, constituents and he did get the thousand but uh two of his friends were arrested for forging signatures as oh, well Jesus. um on that so you know and his ideas you know he seems to be his big thing is um making sure all kids have free school breakfast and lunch an admirable thing but something that should be left to an organization yeah. to persuade a viable candidate on so you know hey look um you want to run for governor and you have $200 in your account or something like that, that's your choice. But the reality is that if you want to win a governor's race in Rhode Island, you're going to need a couple million dollars in your account. Yeah. And you're going to need an, a, a real coalition to be built. And, um, you know, fringe candidates, add a, to me, there's nothing wrong with it. Again, I actually respect Paul Rihanna. A lot of, you know, Rihanna is a guy who I completely disagree with on not only many issues, but tactic, like I said, the sweatshirt and some of his... Mm-hmm. approaches to managing his uh, persona I, I find uh, crude or um, you know but perhaps that's an elitist look at it as well I find them to be sometimes 
you know, just not what I would uh, want to see from someone running for higher office or even for dog catcher for that matter. But you know what? The guy's out there doing it. And to his credit and anyone who gets in the arena's credit, um, they're doing it. I'm not doing it. And there are some people that actually believe in what he's saying. I was just making sure that wasn't my phone. I heard like no, a little ding in the background. Okay, good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're good. all right. Like I didn't pocket dial someone and they're like, what are you talking <laughs> no, about, Paul? No. You know? Yeah. So, th- so that's where I stand on on that. And um, no, I think there's going to be, there's room for more than, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, the fact that we only have two major political parties, uh, which I think are both just umbrella, under the umbrella of the business party. Mm. You know, it's not like, there's not a, there's a lot of major differences, sure, but there's also fundamentally not a huge difference. You know, neither of them are really workers' parties. Neither of them are really, um, you know, narrowing that gap between the haves and have-nots or something like that. You know, they're both mostly serving the interests of the business sector, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's like as a country, we could totally use viable candidates that are from more of a labor movement or more of a populist movement but not in the not in the way that um not hateful populism but like let's all band together and find a way to make a a world that's or a country or a state that it works for all of us like that mm-hmm. that would be nice but um I don't even know where to start with building that at this point in time so you get these third, you get these fringe candidates, and they're kind of just serving their own personal pet peeve, you know, like the flavored vapes thing. It's like I'm going to have that guy on my show in a couple of weeks, Gizarelli, and hey, look, maybe he's a brilliant guy, um, maybe he's going to have a lot of great ideas, but you know, his his presentation so far has been uh, almost nothing, nothing that you know most people would have no idea if you went to the stood at Stop and Shop right now and asked 100 people as they came out if they could either name the libertarian candidate for Nobody governor could. or who Eliza Gizarelli is, I'd be surprised if one person could. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, and the thing is, is that I, I, I remember a few weeks ago, I had, well, when I posted the Ashley Kalis episode, yeah. I had talked to her, uh, it was a good episode, and I had told a few people that I knew, I, hey, I interviewed the Republican candidate for yeah. a governor. And they're like, oh, who's that? Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and she's spent a lot of money and she's done, like, uh, to her credit, she's done a pretty good job of building her brand in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But she also hasn't really tied it to the Republican Party. I mean, some of her yeah. positions have been clearly Republican, but, you know, her branding, her color scheme, you know, she doesn't write Republican for governor many places. It's anywhere. It's, yeah, it's it's almost like is she a Democrat? Is she is you she go on a her third party? You can't really find it. Totally, and it's got a little bit of a Gina color scheme to it. So it's it's interesting, and you know, in in in, in talking with her, you know, and on and off record and whatnot, you know, I don't. She's not a far right mm. MAGA person or anything like that. But the the point of Democrats is saying is is hey anybody who's in the GOP is closer to MAGA than somebody who's not, which actually in Rhode Island isn't entirely true because there are Democrats that voted Trump and supported Trump here, Democratic mm-hmm. mayors mm-hmm. in North Providence and in Johnston that were Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is wacky. Um, 
I think at the state level, like we've, we're at a point where like we could use more Republicans. We could use more balance in the Senate. And some people balance kill me. Balance is always good. Yeah, yeah, people kill me when I say yeah. that on, from certain sectors. They say, how could you say that? And it's true. I mean, like you look at Blake Filippi, you know, he brought a lot, uh, again, disagree with him on plenty of issues, agree mm-hmm. with him on, on some issues. Uh, smart guy, soulful human, mm-hmm. uh, brings a ton of value to the state an actual leader and uh, someone with a lot of experience in different business sectors. And he's, uh, you know, he's a Republican. So it, it balances things out. Same with Brian Newberry. He and I disagree on many issues. So what? Guy's a smart guy. Um, we could debate and he's not an evil person. Mm-hmm. So I think we need more people like that. There's a guy here, Justin Price in uh, South, in, in Richmond. And, you know, the guy was at the January 6th rally. And he won't answer questions about it. Why not, man? Just answer questions about that. You know, did you just happen to go there and go, wow, this is out of control. I need to get the hell out of here right now. This is dangerous. Like, Mm -hmm. or were you there like cheering it on? Like, you know, so that side of the Republican Party here in Rhode Island, I don't think we need more of that. Just like I don't think we need more people setting cars on fire. And, you know, the extremes are, are not good for us. But, you know. We need more diversity of opinion here so that we can have debates about how we should execute these big problems. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't or won't realize that there will always be extreme people that exist on either oh, side. Definitely. You'll never get rid of it. It's happened in the history of political opinions and the history of politics. There have always been quote unquote extremists. And I think people trying to get rid of those people, you're wasting your time because yeah. you're not going to change their opinions. Yeah, you're not. And I feel like. People that are lean right, people that lean left, people that are in the middle. I think slowly but surely people are realizing how crazy the current state of politics are. Yes. Just from a basic consensus of me just talking to normal people. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met a lot of people through my different, you know, uh, ventures of business. And um, I think... just not necessarily talking about certain issues, but talking about politics overall, you know, people are realizing, you know, hey, this is this needs to stop. This is ridiculous. We're all people. We're all looking for the same thing. We want to we want, you know, I mean, you know, to live in a great country, a great state, you know, and just improve our, our state of living. Yeah. And a great world as a yeah. whole. You know? And I think more people are coming to that consensus uh, and the people that are extreme will always be that way. And you're wasting your time if you're trying to change their opinions, you know. So yeah, focus on the people that aren't, you know, incredibly thick headed. Focus on the people that are willing to listen to you and say, you know, I respect your opinion. But I think maybe it could be done this way and come to a compromise. Oh, I think definitely. that's happening more often. Uh, now I don't know if you if you think I, I think too. there's more there's more people that are starting to realize that you know there's there there is definitely oh like you said there's always going to be the extremes I think that with MAGA or I'm not even really with MAGA with like with like QAnon mm. and this like that experience I think people just got wrapped up a lot of times and that there were people who got sucked in and then they look back on it and they go yeah that was kind of crazy mm-hmm. um, and. We're cooling off a little bit, but like you said, there will always be people who are extremists on either side of any issue, Mm -hmm. and those aren't the people you're necessarily going to work with. You know, you can try to bring them in. You can try to engage them. You know, if if you look at like the um, anti-vax movement, you know, 
I think that there are some arguments now looking back on it from the, the, the anti-vax movement that you could say, hey, we understand where you're coming from, especially now that we know the vaccine really doesn't prevent transmission. Mm -hmm. But we also were working from a limited set of, of knowledge. And when we, in, in, in the governor's case, the health companies, the two major hospitals came to him, hospital chains, Lifespan and, and Care New England came to him and said, hey, look, we want this. We want a mandate for all hospital employees. Can you implement it? So it's got a government backing. It's not a, it's not purely a private sector thing. And they instituted that and that's the way it is. I support it. Um, but I can understand why someone would say, Hey, look, you know, I, I have either a religious reason. I don't want to get the vaccine. I have a personal reason. I don't want to get the vaccine. I'm allergic to a particular component of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I also don't want to lose my job. And I think you can have a conversation with that person and there are compromises you can reach. But a lot of the anti-vaccine people here in Rhode Island are also, you know, they're showing up at the governor's house in the middle of the night and protesting outside while his 91-year-old mother's trying to sleep and, you know, uh, chasing him around. And, and it's like that doesn't do anything. Like, you just look like, like you just look kind of foolish at that mm -hmm. point. Like you're not you're not you're not really working on the problem instead of saying, hey, can I get a sit down with you, governor? You know, I, I'm a or one of your someone on your team. So I can like lay this out and say, here's where I'm at. You know, I don't want to get the vaccine and I still, I love my job and I'm needed. Mm -hmm. What alternatives can I do? Is it a testing thing? Is it alternative um, methods of inoculation like, uh, or, or, or attaining immunity? There are some things that I, again, I'm not saying I personally support this. I think the vaccine is really important because it reduces the severity of COVID outcomes. You know, that's that's been proven and we can't overrun our hospitals and we can't overrun our society the way that we did in the thick of the pandemic. So I'm there. But maybe someone could come to me and say, hey, you know, like I listen to Aaron Rodgers on Joe Rogan. Yeah. I don't know if I can listen. I can't listen to that for three hours. It's like I'm talking about the same thing for three hours. Totally. Like, Ugh. It, I made it in different <laughs> chunks. Yeah. But I was like, you know, let me hear this guy out because yeah. he's a successful guy. He's obviously kind of a nut. But um. Apparently, he was allergic to a key ingredient in the vaccine, and he had explored alternative ways to achieve immunity. Yeah. I don't know if I believe him. I don't know. I haven't had time to really dig into that or talk to, like, my physician or yeah. or, or friends down in, um, in various medical sectors about this, and I'm sure that they would say, oh, he's a joke. But, uh, you know, I'm still happy to hear that person out. Yeah. Yeah, he also fails at getting points for my fantasy team. So. He is, uh, well, you know, it's interesting because he's having a tough year where he, his lack of ability to raise up the talent around him is yeah. something that he really needs to be able to improve. That's a part of his game or it's a real, that's a part of any quarterback. Um, you know, it needs to have the ability to, if you have a young receiving core yep. and if you have a, an, an offensive line that, you know, you don't have necessarily the strongest left tackle in the game, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're responsible for bringing those guys along, especially the receivers. And he hasn't done a great job of that. And that's mm -hmm. why, um, he is, a, I think, a, a, one of the great quarterbacks, uh, probably top maybe you could say 25 certainly 50 quarterback but a guy who only has one Super Bowl ring yeah yeah wow what a roller coaster of a conversation we've had I think yeah. I want to touch on, <laughs> on one last race that's sure. going on and that's state treasurer yeah. I had uh, uh, um, uh, I'm having 
uh, James Diosa on this Good. Friday, actually. Great. I had James Lathrop on. Great. Great conversation. That guy is awesome. I'm very much looking forward to talking to Mr. Diosa yep. about, you know, why he's running and his campaign. Um, and uh, I was very, very surprised because it seemed like when in the primary for Democratic uh, 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 state treasurer, um, Stephen Pryor was going to win. Well, you know, it was a classic matchup of new Rhode Island politics, which yeah. there's two major groups. One is the Northern Rhode Island mayoral peer group. Dan McKee is the head of that. He's got Charlie Lombardi of North Providence, Mayor Policina of Johnston. Um, he's got Don Grebby in a Pawtucket, Lisa Baldelli Hunt, who was just voted, who was just actually impeached as mayor of Woonsocket, which is a whole other saga. Um, yeah, create wow. a, cra- a bizarre she, a really weird internal nonsensical thing. But there's this group of mayors in northern Rhode Island that, that is really now in, in the Cumberland uh, municipal world is is largely in, in charge of um, of a lot of our, our government as a whole because McKee's in there. There's another major peer group, which is the Gina Raimondo Alumni Network. So Diosa, the former mayor of Central Falls, is a member of that northern Rhode Island mayoral peer group, whereas prior uh, friends with Gina Raimondo from Yale friendly through the business sector, ultimately the commerce secretary here in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. is from that Ramundo group. And it, the unions really got behind um, Diosa, and I think that was the major separator. But, you know, Pryor is a very qualified person who could have been a great treasurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diosa could, could be as well. In the matchup with Lathrop, you know, Lathrop's a very qualified guy. Yeah. And he's a guy who I think has, of all the Republicans not including Alan Fung, probably has the best shot to win on paper, just in terms of more independent and democratic voters coming and saying, oh, wait a minute, this guy looks good. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a lot of fiscal management experience, um, but his name recognition is very low, and it's hard to elect Republicans in Rhode Island. That's a fact, especially down yeah. ballot where there's not a lot of money being spent um, by the party. So, but, but there is a, a classic example of where you have two human beings that um, I'd love to get a cup of coffee with, you know, yeah. two people that I look at and go, hey, you know what, there's a place for both of those guys in our, in our government and in our world, and whoever wins that thing, you know, they both, they're, they're, there's some major differences. The, the question with Treasurer is a very simple one, I'm moderating the debate next week mm-hmm. uh, on WPRO. So just so everybody knows, it's Wednesday, October 12th. Yep. Uh, hopefully, I don't think I'll get this posted before then. Oh, okay. Um, but I think this will be posted uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. But okay, yeah. so so check WPRO's website to hear the yeah. treasurer debate. Yeah. Where I'm going to focus in on the major job of the of the treasurer, which is the pensions, managing pension reform. You know, our state has uh, since Ramundo as treasurer made major reforms. We're in a scenario where state workers and, and those who are teachers or whatever it may be who are entitled to pensions had their COLAs frozen, their cost of living adjustment frozen, until our pension fund hits 80% funded. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're in, I believe, at the 52% mark. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, growth that needs to take place. So the question people should ask of their treasurer is who has the skill set and then the understanding of the financial sector to grow the pension 
to the point where it hits 80% so that we can see those cost of living adjustments take place. Now, the other side of that too is if the pension goes belly up, much like in Providence or something like that, you get into a situation where there's going to have to be perhaps very risky bonding. We're going to have to pull funds from uh, the general fund or other projects to fund the pension. Mm -hmm. That's also something that we don't want. So that's the job of the treasurer. Everything else is kind of just like, cool, you know? Oh, you have a this position on, you know, I don't know what. Oh, uh, you know, assault weapons. Yeah. You know, what, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, in the line of succession for governor, you're not even in the equation. Yeah. And other than just being an elevated political figure that may someday have more of an influential policy role, really your only job is to manage that pension. Yeah. And then I had uh, Aaron Gukian on, who's running for lieutenant governor as well. Yep. That'll be posted on Monday. Uh, you know, today's Wednesday, October 12th. That'll be post on the next upcoming Monday, but is going to be in the past when I post this episode. It gets yeah. a little confusing. But um, yeah, that was a good episode. I'm not really sure who else is running. It looks like um, Sabrina Matos. Sabrina Matos, our current yeah. lieutenant governor, yeah. who will be... She's rerunning. Yeah, and I'm, I'm moderating that debate. Yeah. And again, if you when you're hearing this, it's probably in the past. Just go to 997wpro.com, click the Election Central tab, and mm-hmm. you'll find that debate. Look, Sabina Matos was appointed by Dan McKee to be lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. She's a very skillful, popular in Providence politician and um, someone who is deeply underestimated as a political figure. Uh, Aaron Gokian, uh, you know, worked in the Kachiri administration. And uh, we'll see how that one plays out. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where Sabina doesn't win that. Yeah, I mean... It- yeah, I mean, it'd be it'd be tough to have uh, somebody like Dan McKee win the governor's seat, and then lieutenant governor go to somebody like Andrew Keaton because they're they really don't seem like they would agree on no much. And we've had that before, where we've had a, a Republican Don Carcieri as governor, and then Elizabeth Roberts, a Democrat, as lieutenant governor. And you know, there's some, uh, you know, the 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 way that the relationship is on right now, anyway. The, McKee wants to change it so the two run together and the lieutenant governor is actually a part of the the administration but you know they kind of have di- different roles um so to speak but uh Sabina will likely win that and yeah. will likely be I mean it's hard to imagine she doesn't yeah well um yeah it's been a great conversation sort of previewing all the elections going on in the Thank state you, of Rhode Island sir. right now yeah uh, I love having you on, and um, I look forward to uh, watching all the debates and listening to all the debates that you'll be hosting. Um, so, yeah, if this is past tense, so you said, uh, just say it again, where to find 997wpro.com, and then yep. click on the Election Central tab, and then follow the Bartholomew Town Podcast. You can either go to ripodcast.com or mm-hmm. wherever you're listening to Knowledge is Power. Just search for Bartholomew Town and, and give us a follow, and you'll find the content there as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just added uh, the podcast to, I think, Stitcher and a couple other streaming platforms as Excellent. well. Excellent. Yeah, so uh, thank you very much for coming on. Been a great conversation. Uh, and yeah, if, if you haven't listened to the original episode with Bill, it's episode 17, I believe, posted almost a year ago, which is crazy. I'll yeah, say it's that crazy. Again. But uh, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the Knowledge is Power podcast, and I will catch you in the next one.